Reuben Sachs, A Sketch, by Amy Levi. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reuben Sachs, by Amy Levi. Read by Adrian Pretzelis, Santa Rosa, California, December 2007. Chapter 1. This is My Beloved Son. Reuben Sachs was the pride of his family. After a highly successful career at one of the great London day-schools, he had gone up on a scholarship to the university, where, if indeed he had chosen to turn aside from the beaten paths of academic distinction, he had made good use of his time in more ways than one. The fact that he was a Jew had proved no bar to his popularity. He had gained many desirable friends, and had, to some extent, shaken off the provincialism inevitable to one born and bred in the Jewish community. At the bar to which in due course he was called, his good fortune did not desert him. Before he was twenty-five he had begun to be spoken of as rising, and at twenty-six, by unsuccessfully contesting a hard-fought election, had attracted to himself attention of another sort. He had no objection, he said, to the wool-sack, but a career of political distinction was growing slowly but surely to be his leading aim in life. "'He will never starve,' said his mother, shrugging her shoulders with a comfortable consciousness of safe investments. "'And he must marry money, but Reuben can be trusted to do nothing rash.' In the midst of so much that was highly promising, his health had broken down suddenly, and he had gone off grumbling to the Antipodes. It was a case of overwork, of overstrain, of nervous breakdown, said the doctors. No doubt a sea voyage would set him up right again, but he must be careful of himself in the future. More than half my nervous patients are recruited from the ranks of the Jews said the great physician, whom Reuben consulted. "'You pay the penalty of too high a civilization.' "'On the other hand,' Reuben answered, "'we never die, so we may be said to have our compensations.' Reuben's father had not borne out his son's theory. He had died many years before my story opens, greatly to his own surprise, and that of a family which could boast more than one nonagenarian in a generation. He had left his wife and children well provided for, and the house in Lancaster Gate was rich in material comfort. In the drawing-room of this house Mrs. Sachs and her daughter were sitting on the day of Reuben's return from his six months' absence. He had arrived early in the day, and was now sleeping off the effects of a night passed in travelling, and of the plentiful supply of fatted calf with which he had been welcomed. His devoted womankind, meanwhile, sipped their tea in the fading light of the September afternoon, and talked over the event of the day in the rapid, nervous tones peculiar to them. Mrs. Sachs was an elderly woman, stout and short, with a wide, sallow, impassive face, lighted up by occasional gleams of shrewdness from a pair of half-shut eyes an indescribable air of intense but subdued vitality characterized her presence. She did not appear in good health, but you saw at a glance that this was an old lady whom it would be difficult to kill. 
"'He looks better, Addy. He looks very well indeed,' she said, the dull red spot of colour on either sallow cheek alone testifying to her excitement. "'I've said all along,' answered her daughter, "'that if Reuben had been a poor man the doctors would never have found out that he wanted a sea-voyage after all. Let us only hope that it has done him no harm professionally.' She emptied her teacup as she spoke, and cut herself a fresh slice of the rich cake, which she was devouring with nervous voracity. Adeline Sachs, or to give her her right title, Mrs. Montague Cohen, was a thin, dark young woman of eight or nine-and-twenty, with a restless, eager, sallow face, and an abrupt manner. She was richly and very fashionably dressed, in an unbecoming gown of green-shot silk, and wore big diamond solitaires in her ears. She and her mother, indeed, were never seen without such jewels, which seemed to bear the same relation to their owners as his pigtail does to the Chinaman. Adelaide was the eldest of the family. She had married young, a husband chosen for her, with whom she lived with average contentment. Reuben was scarcely two years her junior. No one cared to remember the age of Lionel, the youngest of the three, a hopeless ne'er-do-well, who had with difficulty been relegated to an obscure colony. "'There's always either a ne'er-do-well or an idiot in every Jewish family,' Esther Conthal had remarked in one of her appalling bursts of candour. The mother and daughter sat there in the growing dusk, amid the plush ottomans, stamped velvet tables, and other philistine splendours of the large drawing-room, till the lamplighter came down the Bayswater road, and the gilt clock on the mantelpiece struck six. Almost at the same moment the door was flung open, and a voice cried, "'Why do women invariably sit in the dark?' It was a pleasant voice, to a fine ear, unmistakably the voice of a Jew, though the accents of the speaker were free from the cockney twang which marred the speech of the two women. "'Reuben, I thought you were asleep,' cried his mother. "'So I was. Now I have arisen like a giant refreshed.' A man of middle height and slender build had made his way across the room to the window. His face was indistinct in the darkness as he stopped and put his arm caressingly about the broad, fat shoulder of his mother. "'Dressed for dinner already, Reuben,' was all she said, though the hard eye under the cautious old eyelid grew soft as she spoke. Her love for this son and her pride in him were the passion of her life. "'Dinner? You're never going to kill the fatted calf twice over. But seriously, I must run down to the club for an hour or two. There may be letters.' He hesitated a moment, then added, "'I shall look in at the Lunningers on my way back.' "'The Lunningers?' cried Adelaide, in open disapproval. "'Reuben, there's the old gentleman. He won't like your going first to your cousins,' said his mother. "'My grandfather? Oh, but my arrival isn't an official fact till to-morrow. We were sixteen hours before our time, remember. Good-bye, Addy. I suppose you and Monty will be dining in Portland Place to-morrow with the rest of us. What a gathering of the clans! Well, I must be off.' and he suited the action to the word. "'What on earth need he rush off like that to the Laningers?' said Mrs. Cohen, as she drew on her gloves. Her mother looked across at her through the dusk. "'Reuben will do nothing rash,' she said. End of chapter 1
Chapter Two. Whatever my mood is, I love Piccadilly. London lyrics. Reuben Sachs stepped into the twilit street with a distinct sense of exhilaration. He was back again, back to the old, full, strenuous life which was so dear to him, to the din and rush and struggle of the London which he loved with a passion that had something of poetry in it. With the eager curiosity, the vivid interest in life which underlay his rather impassive bearing, it was impossible that foreign travel should be without charm for him, but he returned with unmixed delight to his own haunts, to the work and the play, the market-place and the greetings in the market-place, to the innumerable pleasantnesses of an existence which owed something of its piquancy to the fact that it was led partly in the democratic atmosphere of modern London, partly in the conservative precincts of the Jewish community. Now, as he lingered a moment on the pavement, looking up and down the road for a hansom, the light from the street-lamp fell full upon him, revealing what the darkness of his mother's drawing-room had previously hidden from sight. He was, as I have said, of middle height and slender build. He wore good clothes, but they could not disguise the fact that his figure was bad and his movements awkward, unmistakably the figure and movements of a Jew and his features, without presenting any marked national trait, bespoke no less clearly his Semitic origin. His complexion was of a dark pallor, the hair, small moustache and eyes, dark with red lights in them. Over these last the lids were drooping, and the whole face wore for the moment a relaxed, dreamy, impassive air, curiously eastern, and not wholly free from melancholy. He walked slowly in the direction of an advancing hansom, hailed it quickly and quietly, and had himself driven off to Pall Mall. To every movement of the man clung that indescribable suggestion of an irrepressible vitality which was the leading characteristic of his mother. There were several letters for him at the club. Having discussed them, and having been greeted by half a dozen men of his acquaintance, he dined lightly off a chop and a glass of claret, and gave himself up to what was apparently an exceedingly pleasant reverie. The club where he sat was not, as he himself would have been the first to acknowledge, in the front rank of such institutions, but it was respectable and had its advantages. As for its drawbacks, supported by his sense of better things to come, Reuben Sachs could tolerate them. It was nearly half-past eight when Reuben's cab drew up before the Lunninger's house in Kensington Palace Gardens, where a blaze of light from the lower windows told him that he had come on no vain errand. Israel Lunninger had begun life as a clerk on the stock exchange, where he had been fortunate enough to find employment in the great broking firm of Sachs and Co., there his undeniable business talents and devotion to his work had met with ample reward. He had advanced from one confidential post to another, after a successful speculation on his own account, had been admitted into partnership, and finally, like the industrious apprentice of the story-books, had married his master's daughter. In these days the reins of government in Capel Court had fallen almost entirely into his hands. Solomon Sachs, though a wonderful man of his years, was too old for regular attendance in the city, 
while poor Cohenthal, the other member of the firm, and, like Lunninger, son-in-law to old Solomon, had been shut up in a madhouse for the last ten years and more. As Reuben advanced into the large, heavily upholstered vestibule, one of the many surrounding doors opened slowly, and a woman emerged with a vague, uncertain movement into the light. She might have been fifty years of age, perhaps more, perhaps less. Her figure was slim as a girl's, but the dark hair, uncovered by a cap, was largely mixed with grey. The long, oval face was of a deep, unwholesome sallow tinge, and from its haggard gloom looked out two dark, restless, miserable eyes—the eyes of a creature in pain. Her dress was rich, but carelessly worn, and about her whole person was an air of neglect. "'Aunt Ada!' cried Reuben, going forward. She rubbed her lean, sallow hands together, saying in low, broken, lifeless tones, "'We didn't expect you till to-morrow, Reuben. I hope your health has improved.' This was quite a long speech for Mrs. Lanninger, who was of a monosyllabic habit. Before Reuben could reply, the door opposite the one from which his aunt had emerged was flung open, and two little boys, dressed in sailor-suits, rushed into the hall. One was dark, with bright black eyes. The other had a shock of flame-coloured hair and pale, prominent eyes. "'Reuben!' they cried in astonishment, and rushed upon their cousin. "'Lionel! Sidney!' protested their mother, faintly, as the boys proceeded to take all sorts of liberties with the new arrival. The door by which they had come opened again, and a man's voice cried, half in fun, "'Why on earth are you youngsters making this confounded row? Be off to bed, or you'll be sorry for it!' Reuben was standing under the light of a lamp, a smile on his face as he lifted little red-haired Sidney from the ground and held him suspended by his wide sailor-collar. "'It's Reuben! Old Reuben come back!' cried the children. An exclamation followed. The door was flung wide open. Reuben set down the child with a laugh and passed into the lighted room. End of chapter 2